podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Sidlo joining me, Phil Kitramelides as ever. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm okay. You're sort of going back to the old days because you are in a car, in a car park, recording this <laughs> podcast. I'm not, though. I'm at home. So at least one of us is getting back into the old spirit. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's, um, let's, let's talk about what happened this weekend. It was match day uh, 20 in uh, La Liga. And a lot of interesting things happened. Here's a rundown uh, of the... Uh, Results from the match day that's just gone. On Friday, Athletic Club beat Cadiz by four goals to one. Athletic had been having problems scoring, apparently, but they put those to bed with an Oyan Sunset hat-trick on Friday night. Then on Saturday, Espanyol and Osasuna drew 1-1. There was no Joselu for Espanyol, but Martin Brathwaite stepped up and scored his fifth league goal of the season to ensure they got a point against Osasuna. Elche got their first win of the season. Yes, it's finally happened at the 20th time of asking. They beat Villarreal. 3-1, 3-1, a hat-trick for Peramilla, and they were good value for the victory as well. Villarreal, truly awful in the second half of this game. Atletico Madrid and Getafe played out a 1-1 draw at the Civitas Metropolitano. At the, at the time of the full-time whistle, we thought, oh, that's a terrible result for Atleti. But actually, it's turned out to be quite a good result because all the other teams around them lost this weekend. Told you about Villarreal losing. Betis lost as well at home, 4-3 to Celta Vigo in one of the games of the season. And then on Sunday, Real Sociedad also lost. They were beaten 1-0 at home by Valladolid. So it turned out to be a pretty good weekend for Atletico Madrid. Not a good weekend for Real Madrid, who were beaten 1-0 by Mallorca. Girona beating Valencia by a goal to nil. Valencia's problems worsened. They are in serious, serious trouble. Girona keeping their first clean sheet of the season as well. So it's been a weekend of firsts. And Barcelona moved eight points clear at the top of the table with a 3-0 victory over Sevilla. Pretty comfortable in the end for Xavi's men after a competitive opening 45 minutes from Sevilla. Monday Night Football is in Bayeca. Sydney and I are on our way to see Rayo Vallecano against Almeria. I said it's a weekend of firsts. Almeria haven't won away from home all season, so I hope that weekend of first doesn't necessarily continue today. But enough <laughs> of the uh, Rayo kind of bias on the pod. Let's, uh, let's put that to one side. Uh, let's get to the talking points then from this weekend. The main, the main talking points, if you know, we're not talking about Barca being eight points clear at the top of the table, we can, we can dissect that in, in a moment. But the game between Mallorca and Real Madrid, which was described in, in several papers today as a, as a battle, the battle of Mallorca. Mallorca committing 29 fouls, a foul every three minutes uh, in the game, and Madrid not liking that very much. Why were they committing so many fouls? Well, this has turned into some kind of grudge match, Sydney, and I'm not entirely sure how, well, I do know how it stems from last season, but Vinicius against Mallorca has turned into a grudge match, which I didn't necessarily see coming, and I haven't seen this level of animosity against one particular player in a stadium without a history of rivalry between the two teams, maybe ever in La Liga, certainly for some time. Yeah, it, 
it's kind of you're right even even with last year in our minds it doesn't make a huge amount of sense it's not necessarily a, a grudge match that's that easy to to explain because there were a few bad challenges last year there were a couple of minor confrontations there was the accusation from Vinicius that that he'd heard Aguirre say to to one of his players you know kick him when because Vinicius was running away from people and Vinicius sort of I think took that almost as his cue to try and to try and kind of keep doing it and to to almost to almost kind of give some back and yet Vinicius uh, sorry not Vinicius after game Aguirre on that occasion actually tried to take this thing out of it didn't he he talked about he said look you know the game the game's done we had a little bit of a conversation we we had some words but but that's it there isn't any more he didn't try and ham it up in fact it was the following week and I can't remember who Real Madrid played now that it sort of kicked off almost as an overspill from the Mallorca game, when Mallorca were no longer involved, if you see what I mean. And then that has, I think, segued into everything that we've seen, um, everything that we've seen this season with this discussion about Vinicius dancing when he scores goals and so on. And and I'm with you on this, the whole thing. And, and let's take the racism issue to one side, because although it's related in so far as that creates, if you like, some of the conditions through which that kind of stuff gets expressed it's a separate issue in many ways in fact this morning when we heard about that that someone had had um, had accused uh, had accused accused is not the right word at all had abused Vinicius and called him a monkey one of the depressing things was I'd been kind of quite pleased that you could have this kind of tension without going down that route if you see what I mean because it hadn't seemed to hmm. uh, and but even this route is difficult to fully explain because it does seem over the top and it was all a bit childish and you got those moments at the weekend where Pablo Mafeo is doing kind of crybaby gestures to Vinicius very much in his face Vinicius is presumably moaning about some of the challenges you watch the challenges back and there are a lot of them but there aren't any really horrendous ones there isn't for example ten. an equivalent it was fouled 10 times yeah. 10 times there there isn't for example an equivalent of of what um uh, of what Gabriel did to him in midweek which was to just to hack him I mean, to absolutely mm. just kick him up in the air. There wasn't anything like that, although there was a rep- rep- repetitive nature to it, which I think tells you that this was about tactics. This was about um, kind of stopping him getting into his into his flow, stopping him running at you, making challenges, some of which uh, are slightly worse than others. But the, the, the certainly the, the the repeated nature of it was was really, really striking. But that's kind of the nature of Mallorca, to be honest. You know, this is a team that's won... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's four nil at home, four games in a row. Sorry, one nil at home, one four games yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that's kind of very much their approach. And it, it the whole thing just feels almost pantomime to me. Hmm. It's it's quite it's quite strange. It is. It is. Um, apart from the racism, of course. And, and, and when you said, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a different. Uh, it is. Yeah, that's it a, is. an extra step. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That was that was sort of apart from 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 what was going on. To clarify, the video that was picked up by DAZN, it's a solitary, idiotic voice calling Vinicius yeah. a monkey. It doesn't make it, obviously. It's completely inexcusable. Um, but it was a solitary voice, and we hope that it is, and he is um, found and prosecuted and not allowed into a football stadium uh, again. Um, just going back to this, you said it is It is like a pantomime. I don't... I can't see anything... T- too wrong with what with what's going on. I can't bring myself to get as worked up as everybody seems to be getting over this, particularly here in in Spain. And people, okay, uh, people lose their minds often on radio talk, talk radio phone-ins, and, and and TV shows here. But people are getting really, really worked up about this. 
I just feel like it's kind of it's sort of part of the, the game, isn't it? I mean, play, players have always sort of wound each other up. Players have always tried to yeah. uh, wind up someone who they think they can get under their skin. Vinicius gives it, he gets it back. I, I don't know. Does, does this feel like this is sort of out of the ordinary, that this is sort of unacceptable, that we must protect Vinicius, otherwise he's going to leave? I don't know. No, it strikes me that the volume of it maybe is slightly higher than normal. But the actual fact of it doesn't seem that that extraordinary to me. And, for example, quite a lot has been made about that moment in which Raílio tries to make him kiss the Mallorca badge on his shirt. Well, he doesn't try to. He sort of holds it up and says, do you want to kiss this one? And, and you know, that's a response to Vinicius showing his Real Madrid badge to the Mallorca fans as he's going off at half-time. And it's a bit of me that thinks, kind of, so what, to be honest? I mean, I, I, exactly. I realise that it... it, it it does feel sort of big, but at the same time, it just sort of doesn't feel like a thing, or it doesn't feel like a, a very important thing anyway. Um, it, so, it, I mean, the thing, what is important is the racism aspect of this, which yes, is absolutely. not what we are talking about, but there is a kind of, I guess, an overlap, certainly in some of yes, the undercurrent of, uh, of the animosity to it. But what we're talking about is the sort of the showman aspect of it. I mean, he says he's a showman. That's how he plays. He's, he's a showman footballer. He likes showboating. If he can do a trick, he likes to do it. And if that winds up the the the, uh, the opposing fans and, and delights his own fans, then, then so be it. But it just seems, like you said, a bit of a pantomime, a bit of a show. Now, okay, it spills over occasionally, but I don't think there's too much to it. Now, the racism aspect to it is, is, is something completely separate, deplorable, and something that needs to be stamped out, obviously. But we're, we're not necessarily talking about that here. No, no exactly. Exactly. No. And, and it says, we yeah. were saying the other day, that, that one of the things... Where the two things, I mean, they obviously do overlap in terms of, if you like, the, the what do you call it? The context of what the Spanish always refer to as the caldo de cultivo, you know, the mix around it, the, the ingredients that, mm. that kind of create an environment. Um, and, and and as we said, I think, a couple of weeks ago in the podcast, I said, one of the sad things is that there are still some people in Spain who think that abusing someone racially is part of this. You know, is, well, that's just a legitimate way to try and wind them up. Oh, it's not a legitimate. Yes, that, yes, that, that, yes absolutely. And, and that, that's where it goes into. I mean, it's yeah. Anyway, look. I mean, that mm. that is kind yeah, of separate. That, this yeah. this whole thing does yeah. seem to me to be very very strange. And well, not very very strange, but very overblown. But then, as you rightly said, so much of what happens in Spain is overblown, particularly with Real Madrid. And we 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 talked about this off air on Sunday. Well, it must have been Sunday because that's when the game was. And I don't know about you, but I, I, as I said to you then, I, I kind of sometimes feel like there's almost this need, isn't there, for there to be a bad guy at Real Madrid. And almost a need at the same time for Real Madrid to feel like they've got a bad guy. Or not got a bad guy, but got a victim, if you see what I mean. And again, mm. to stress this a hundred times, it's not a, this is not about the racism we're talking about. But this idea that you, you that, that there needs to be a baddie for them to have a go at. And you need to feel like they're being unfair to have a go at your baddie. Because it just sort of isn't... You, yeah, UEFA or La Liga. Yeah. Or, or the Federation. Or the Federation or journalists or yeah. some bastard yeah. who plays for someone else or, you know, it's, yeah. Anyway, to the actual game then and what happened and what happened was Real Madrid played really quite, quite poorly. Yes, they managed 20 shots in the game, but only one of those was on target and it was Marco Asensio's penalty, which was saved. This was a really, really underwhelming performance from Real Madrid. Yes, it was. Um, conditioned by the fact that they were missing Courtois who got injured in the warm-up there was no Benzema no Militao Cross and Modric were on the bench again I guess that's the context of this game but still yeah I mean the Cross and Modric thing I suppose maybe um, there's an argument to say that we, and we've talked 
uh, a lot and Ancelotti has talked a lot about the transition and we're very definitely moving to a different type of midfield with maybe a bit more energy with those two getting rested as much as possible and I also think that Ancelotti has said that maybe we haven't engaged with him enough I don't mean us personally I mean people in general that actually the physical condition of Cross and Modric possibly isn't the best at the moment because he said he's needed to protect them not just he hasn't just talked about the transition he's talked about the immediacy of the condition they're in and I think that's important as well but I do think there is an argument to say that if you're missing Benzema and you're missing Courtois and you're looking at that team in terms of those people who give you a sense of security those people who give you a sense of leadership a sense of just you know yeah I am one of the best in the world in in what I do Mm. then maybe one of those two could have usefully played but I don't actually think this is about looking at it and saying look what you did wrong Uh, maybe you could look at Madrid and say there's a slight lack of character maybe you could look at Madrid and say there's a maybe a slight lack of ambition although I'm always really uneasy about those kind of phrases because I think sometimes we read them as meaning that there's a voluntary kind of sense of not caring I don't think anyone ever doesn't care or at least not very often but maybe that little bit of edge that little bit of something competitive that little bit of something different that wasn't there in certain circumstances in a way it was kind of I don't know what, how you feel about this, but I, I kind of felt that this was, in a way, sort of almost classic Madrid. That when they go into this run of really bad, difficult games, and it's really tight, and, and everyone says, oh, Madrid could be in trouble, because they're playing, you know, Barcelona followed by Athletic, followed by Real Sociedad, followed by, you know, Sevilla or whoever it is. And we'll go, oh, that's a really tough run of games. And it's very like them to go and win that tough run of games and then drop the points when they go to the place that theoretically isn't so difficult. Yes, although, as we said, theoretically, uh, Mallorca uh, have actually been pretty good at home, so they were always going to be a, a bit of a yes, challenge. They have. Uh, it's yes, a, they have. Um, yeah. It's a really busy time for Real Madrid, we know that. They're off to Morocco to play the uh, the Club World Cup, uh, the semi-final. They presumably will probably get through to the final, but who knows? Then they've got a rearranged midweek match in La Liga next week, then the weekend, and then the Champions League restarts, obviously. It's incredibly busy. We'll see how We'll see how they get on. Because the next time they play in La Liga, which is against Elche on the 15th of of uh, February, they could be 12 points behind... No, 11 points behind, behind Barcelona. Barca currently eight points ahead of their eternal rivals after that 3-0 victory over Sevilla. Ultimately, it was it was pretty comfortable for uh, for Barca and Xavi selecting a really strong 11 for this. They played in uh, in midweek against Betis. Tough game, strong 11 there. Strong 11 here as well. Uh, Rafinha getting on the score sheet and, and providing a, a brilliant assist as well. Gavi also getting on the score sheet. Kessier coming on to replace the injured Sergi Busquets, who went off after seven minutes and could be a doubt for the Europa League game with Manchester United. But overall, it took a while to get going, but overall, it was a good night for Barca. Yes, it was. It was one of their better performances recently because, because of course, we were talking about how they'd come from that run of three nil nil, sorry, three one nils in a row, which is uh, they, you know, the longest run of one nil since nineteen eighty in, in in the era before Cruyff. Um, and so you, you looked at it and you were thinking, I'm not sure if I'm entirely convinced by them. And, and, and in the first half, they had almost all of the ball, uh, created two or three really good chances. But you still sort of wondered if there was maybe the chance that they would get caught. In fact, I really did think they might get caught because they were playing such a high line. And I kind of thought, thought to myself, I can see a scenario in which a ball over the top catches them out. Once they're in the lead, that was it. And there was a period, I think, just before half time when they, they did it in 10 minutes. 10-minute periods, and they flashed up a statistic on the television screen, and it said Barca had, had 90% of the ball <laughs> in the previous 10 minutes. And it was that kind of game. And, and I think 
you know, I've been thinking about this today because of the fact that it's an eight-point lead, which is a lead too big. Uh, well, so so big that no one's ever... Barcelona have never lost a lead that big in La Liga. Real Madrid never overhauled a lead that big in La Liga. And so you look at this and think, this really does feel like a big step because they would now have to lose, of course, three times to be caught, even with Madrid having a, a, a personal... Uh, sorry, a perfect record. Three times or as many draws as it takes to, to match that. And And you look at it and you think, and actually, their stats are really, really good. It's 53 points now. This is a team that's won 17 of their 20 games. Now, we haven't always been sure about them. We haven't always been convinced. If In this run of winning 1-0, you kind of thought, they're not that good. And yet, those numbers don't, don't really invite you to argue with them very much. Because they are so good, the numbers. And actually, I think that slowly, things have fallen into place in a way that maybe wasn't exactly how Xavi was always anticipating it. So, for example, the importance of the role of Ronald Araujo, the disappearance from the team of, of Eric Garcia, the introduction and now the basically staying in the team of, of Frankie de Jong, the fact that Gavi is playing but as a fourth midfielder, not as one of three, almost doing a little bit what Fede Valverde was doing with Real Madrid last year, which is his midfielder, but I sort of nominally play in the front front of the pitch so he can kind of add to the midfield and sort of be there where I need him and he's got the energy to do it um, you know Jules Koundé who doesn't want to be a right back but is playing at right back and playing really really well there and the player that I was thinking about last night watching him again mm. was Christensen who we don't notice who never seems to say anything who's just quietly getting on with being really really good and I must admit at Chelsea I wasn't always that sure um, and, and I think he's been brilliant and, and I wasn't always that sure I must admit as well with Rafinha I think he's had the difficulty that, that there isn't really a, a natural space for him and Dembele to both play certainly not with this new formation in which you're adding a midfielder and effectively losing one of the front three and, and he was he was funny last night because actually at times I didn't think he was all that good but then he was really, really decisive and, and had a key role to play in all three goals. He's the pre-assist in the first one, he's the assist in the second, and he's the goal scorer in the third. And he does work hard as well. You, you get that work ethic from him. He does work really yeah. hard. Yes, you do. Yeah, absolutely you do. And the other, the other one, of course, last night was Kessier, who we really haven't seen. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he'd only started two league games. Uh, and I, I know he didn't start this one, but he effectively started it because he came on the pitch with what... 15 minutes in 20 minutes less, in How less I think it was 7 around about then wasn't yeah. it less right well there yeah. you go then um, and, and he was very very good indeed and genuinely we just hadn't seen him this year and his assist is just brilliant for the first goal certainly is he's going to be uh, useful or potentially important uh, because uh, Busquets we don't know how long he's going to be out for but it looked like a relatively nasty ankle injury uh, so we'll see how long it takes to recover mm. from that Sevilla were uh, organised in the first half, but Ivan Rakitic wasn't particularly impressed with their game plan. Did you hear him speaking after the after the game? He was really quite critical. Yeah. So you come here, you've got to be brave because if you just try and wait for Barcelona, they will eventually get you. Yeah. And he was right. It's exactly what happened. And he, he knows. He does know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> He's been there. <laughs> he's been there. If there's one man in the Sevilla team that, that, that knows it, it's him. Uh, they're still in trouble, Sevilla. They'd had this really good run of three wins out of, of four to move out of the relegation zone. They're just two points above the relegation zone. Yes, in theory, they are, quote unquote, too good to go down. Uh, but they're still there and they're still uh, not moving away from the uh, relegation zone as mm. much as they would like. Uh, moving out of the relegation zone uh, are uh, Celta, who have won back-to-back -back games, the most recent of which coming at the Estadio Benito Villamarín, as we said, potentially game of the season, that 4-3 win mm. over Betis, which was really quite dramatic. It had everything, including some absolutely brilliant 
brilliant goals. Really, really enjoyable goals. Two of them scored by Celta Vigo's 20-year-old Gabri Vega, another uh, local boy. He's from Oporino, which is from just outside Vigo. As we said, he's only 20. I'm not sure how much you've actually spoken about him on the podcast, Sydney, but he scored his fifth mm. and sixth league goals of the season uh, in that game against Betis. And he is a real, real talent. And I'm not entirely sure where his best position is or, or what his position is. Because in this game, he started a little bit deeper in the midfield. Then he was playing a little bit further forward. He can play uh, off the striker as a sort of number 10. He, he's, um, he's really quite an exciting prospect. Yeah, he is. And, and, and obviously, I think part of that question is about where the balance best lies with, with Aspas. Um, because obviously Aspas likes to have the freedom to move he likes to be at the top of the pitch but have the freedom to move and to be involved and so you have to fit around him uh, and Cabajal said at the at the weekend didn't he? he said I like him in this deeper position I like him arriving into the area rather than already being there and I thought that was that was really really interesting to see because I think when he first broke through we could all see that he had more than just a striker but I didn't actually anticipate that he would end up as a midfielder um, mm. uh, you know, the possibility of a number 10, yes, but maybe not quite as deep as this time around. The goal that he scored when he kind of headed it twice past the defender and then lifted it over the goalkeeper is, is, is absolutely brilliant. The arrival and the timing for the second one is is superb. I, I think he's a he's a really, really talented player. And, and as you say, you know, for a debut season to already be on five league goals in a team that's not playing particularly six. well. Six. Sorry, six. Six. In a team that's, yeah, in a team that's not playing particularly well. Is 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 really really striking. I thought as well. I don't know about you, but I, I think the introduction of Strand Larsen is very interesting. I and mean, he took his first goal really really well. And I just wonder if that allows a bit of that freedom that Aspas wants to have someone like there up up with him and allows Gabri Vega to maybe have that bit of freedom. And and effectively, I suppose in a way, you're trying to find a way of integrating two number tens with a certain degree of freedom and letting the structure not you know, not suffer as a result of that. Dear listener, let me tell you something. Now is a really good time to come and join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We're offering annual memberships with 10% off. This week, patrons will get a Q&A pod on Tuesday, a bonus pod on Thursday, and a new episode of TSFP Presents Top Fives, plus Al's paper reviews, access to the TSFP Discord. We do Zoom calls with patrons as well. So come and join us. It's around about four euros, four dollars, four pounds a month, and it's good value if you like Spanish football content. Uh, getting back to Betis against Celta, there's something uh, I've been writing about this today, so it's fresh in my mind. You know the feeling of that, Sid, don't you? Um, Betis... Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> Betis had a man sent off again, Sid. Ten red cards this season. Mm. Ten red cards this season and it's match day 20. To put that into context, last season Valencia and Getafe were the teams with the most number of red cards. Eight. All season. In 38 games... Mm. Eight red cards. The last team to get to double figures in terms of red cards were a relegated Rio in the 2015-2016 season. And they got their 10th red card on match day 30. It's match day 20. Betis have had 10 red cards. Luis Felipe getting his third red card of the season. Now let's do the old... TSFP favourite, the caveat, usually it's you, but I'm going to do it this time. He was a little bit unlucky this time because good old Barry Aspas, we love him. Baz, we've extolled the virtues of Barry Aspas, but he did some quite extraordinary theatrics on on Saturday night. Um, Luis Felipe ran up behind him to try and smack the ball out of his hand because he felt he was holding on to it too long and smacked the ball out of his hand and Barry went to the floor clutching his face. VAR didn't intervene. He was shown a straight red card, Luis Felipe Var didn't intervene, although it didn't seem like he'd hit any part of Barry's 
beautiful face. But anyway, Luis Felipe, you can't go charging at someone to smack the ball out of their hand. If you do Maybe. that, you are running a massive, massive risk, especially if you've already been sent off twice this season. What are you doing? And I was just, yeah. just looking. Sorry, let me continue with this uh, slight monologue. I was just looking at the the stats of, of Betis. Do you know something? They've, they've had 42 yellow cards this season. 42. That's the third lowest total in the division. In terms of fouls per game, they're on the second lowest average fouls per game in the division. It's 10.7. Only Real Madrid have fewer fouls per game. So it's not like they're this dirty team who are lunging into challenges and hacking people down. They're losing their heads consistently. And the yes. next game that they have, it's against Almeria. They're without Nabil Fekir. They're without William Carvalho and they're without Luis Felipe. And Sydney, none of them are injured. No. I mean, that's the key point really here, isn't it? This is about the type of cards. It's about what they are happening for. And it's not, it's not a risk inherent in the way that you play. Quite the opposite. They're a team that don't play in a way that should be risky. Um, on this particular occasion, I think he was very unlucky, but I also think he was very foolish because I totally agree with you. If you run up and try and hit the ball out of someone's hands like that, you are giving them the opportunity to do what Barry Aspas did, which I'm not condoning at all, by the way, although it is Barry, so we, you know, maybe there's a temptation to let him off. Um, if you run up and try and grab the ball, then it's different. But you try and hit it out the hand like that. And he didn't just run up. He sprinted up to Aspas. Yeah. Now, for yeah. what it's worth, for what it's worth, my one of my great disappointments here, uh, and you all know, I think, if you listen to this, that I'm not a big fan of the VAR anyway. But it's not really for this reason. But one of, the th- one of my disappointments here is the VAR, is that one of the very few things that I f- was always convinced that the VAR would do, because uh, I thought, how could it not? is that we get rid of theatrics and diving and faking mm. and cheating, mm. basically. Let's call it what it is, cheating. And <laughs> it's it ha- made it worse, Sid. And it hasn't. It's made it worse. It, exactly. A player now knows. Now, this isn't about what Barry did at the weekend. A player now knows. If he goes into no. the area and he tumbles, the referee's more likely to give it because the referee knows he's got the backup of the VAR. So if he's completely wrong, if he's completely wrong, the VAR will take it off him. So he's more inclined to say, OK, I'll buy it. I'll give it to you. He's also, the VAR is more likely to say, well, I'll give it because I can see the contact, even if the referee hasn't because the referee's seen it at normal speed. All the player needs to do is guarantee there's some contact and he gets away with it. It's made it, well, it hasn't made it worse in everything. And one thing's for sure, I think there probably is less grappling at corners and that sort of stuff. And there's normally less of this kind of thing. I find it amazing that the VAR didn't intervene. Joaquin actually said to the referee, check the VAR, you'll see. Joaquin claimed after the game that the referee had said to him, the VAR says he caught him in the face. Asma said, look, he got me here and pointed to his neck. But there's no evidence of that. Certainly no evidence on the VAR to, have, to uphold hold this decision, I don't think. I, I, think it's, I think it's awful. I think it's awful because I think it's one of the few things that the VAR should never get wrong. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> but anyway, um, in terms of Betis, it's, it's, you know, it's a real problem. And, and I, I quite like Manuel Pellegrini's comments after the game about how Aspas was, he used the word unloyal, disloyal. I suppose really it means, you know, mm. you're cheating on, 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 on members of your profession. And I think he's right. And I do think this, this kind of question should be raised. That said, of course, your job as a professional is to try to win and to use every means possible. And if a referee catches you, well, tough luck. But this kind of thing, that VAR shouldn't just take away the red card. It should give a red card to Aspas. Baz, we love you, but don't do that again, mate. Honestly, that was, it was, it was, you know, we, 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 we feel bad because we've defended you and extolled how great you are for so long. And then you go and do that. It's very, very difficult to try and, uh, to try and defend you there. Um, Before we go, we've got to mention Elche. Well done, lads. Well done. And well done too. 
well done to the fans that turned up because yeah. the Martinez Valero was pretty full, you know. They're bottom of the table. They haven't won all season. They're in all sorts of trouble. They've played some really, really poor games and there were loads of fans there and the atmosphere was great. They scored early on and they thoroughly deserve this. A first La Liga win in 258 days. Villarreal with back-to-back defeats against Rio and Elche now after a decent little unbeaten run. But we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about Elche. Well done, lads. There's still 11 points 11 points from safety and they're almost certainly going to go down. Their next league game is against Real Madrid. It's it's really, really difficult. But at least, at least they've got that victory, finally. Yeah. I, 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 there's, there's, some, there's some great historical little quirks to this as well. Um, one of them is that, of course, this was the start of the second half of the season. We went 190 games without a hat-trick and then got hat-tricks in two games running because, of course, you had Sunset on Friday night and then and then uh, Pedamia in this game. Pedamia in 52 minutes doubled his tally for the season with his with his hat-trick having previously scored three, which I think might have made him Elche's top scorer. I'm not sure. Certainly does. Really check yeah. that, to be honest with you. Um, I think he's a really nice player as well, Pedamia. I don't really understand why Elche are so bad. The other two stats I absolutely love, of course, is Carlos Clerk's first victory for 39 games. Games. He was at Levante last year as they were an absolute disaster, went to Elche and continued to be a disaster. But 39 games later, he finally won. And here's one for you, Phil. It's a pity the transfer window is closed because if it was not, Barcelona would be desperately scrambling trying to sign Randy and Tecker. Because Randy and Tecker has now broken a Primera División record, a La Liga record. He's the first player in history to win back-to-back La Liga games <laughs> against the same team. <laughs> He beat Villarreal with Rayo on Monday. On Saturday, he beat Villarreal with Elche. Barca play Villarreal next. They must wish, <laughs> just to be on the safe side, that they could go and sign him. Uh, well done to Elche, finally getting that victory. It's still a long, long way to go, but who knows? As they say in Spanish, soñar no cuesta nada. It's free to dream. Um, before before we go, a, a quick word about the segunda. Las Palmas are top ahead of their game uh, at Burgos this evening. Levante, they're now 17 league games unbeaten. They're second. They won 2-1 at Cartagena. And third-placed Eibar lost 2-0 uh, to Alaves, who are fourth. Oviedo won 1-0 at Malaga on Friday night. Malaga in all sorts of trouble and staring relegation square in the face, which would be utterly catastrophic for a massive historic club to drop into the third tier of Spanish football. But they would not be the first. This week, Real Madrid play Egypt's Al-Ali in the Club World Cup semi-finals on Wednesday. Al-Akli knocked out Auckland City and Seattle Sounders to get there. The finals on Saturday, where usually... Usually, Real Madrid play the champions, or the champions of Europe play the champions of South America, which in this case would be uh, Brazilian side Flamengo. We'll see how that gets on. Uh, thanks very much for listening to us, uh, amigos. We're going to be over at Patreon for the rest of the week if you need us. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, come and join us. Come and join us. And if you don't want to join us, that's all right. We'll be here next Monday. It's fine. It's cool. Won't hurt it against you. Adios. Cheerio. Network.